think we're almost there. How's everybody feeling? Caffeinated? I feel like there's a lot of parallel conversations going and I wish I could join all of them. But I think we might be better off if everybody just listens to us for the next hour. It doesn't mean that you're going to be completely mute. You are going to be invited into the conversation. But let's just give us a chance to start it. Yeah? My name is Chrissy Fanyadis, and I've had the great uh, honor of being invited to uh, moderate this conversation. Originally, it was going to be four hours. It was then uh, dieted down to one and a half. And then Paris traffic did its thing. So now it's going to be a little bit over one, which means that we're going to keep it tight. And also, whatever interventions and questions that you might ask, we would ask you to keep them short. Because we have an interesting panel with us. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And I, as you can see, there's an SC behind it. So I am based in Sweden. Whether I'm Swedish or not, that's a different debate. We'll keep that for another time in this uh, day and age. With me on stage, oh, I hear a baby. Hello. Um, with me on stage, I have uh, a great group of uh, panelists who will speak on the topic of safety from their perspective. We're going to try to weave together the presentations that we've had this morning uh, with broadening the topic slightly, because as you have noticed, safety is a prism rather than a sort of a, a one-dimensional concept. It can be about many, many things. It can be about how you feel, but it can also be where you are. It can be uh, the climate that you're in. It can be the context. It can be physical space, it can be mental space, it can be all of those things. So we're going to explore those. With me on stage, I have Isabel Jolie, who is the director of FEDEC, which is the European Federation of Professional Circle Schools. So she will be bringing a sort of a, let's say, a, um, a satellite kind of perspective and then delve into certain aspects from FedEx perspective. I also have Ji Jung Lee, who is um, an artist, and he is the artistic director of Galmai, and he is practicing his artistry both in Korea and in France, and he splits his time between the two. And he will speak from his perspective as a creator, as an artistic director, but also as an artist. I also have Elizabeth Efua Sutherland, who uh, runs an independent space in Accra, Ghana, called the Terra Alta space. She is uh, an artist, but she's also a community organizer. I decided that I was going to try to like, combine the com the, all your hats into that. And then we also have Clive Little. You run uh, an organization called Certain Blacks in East London. But you also have a sort of a previous hat of having been in the administrative kind of organizational area, right? I would say. So you also have, you've kind of had one leg in, in the sort of uh, enabling artists 
to be able to produce their work, but now also being an artist yourself and an organizer. So all of these topics, all of these angles are going to be included in this topic. The topic of safety, why it has come up so, so um, why it's important that it comes up right now is, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but it's kind of dangerous being in the arts and culture sector right now. Dangerous from what perspective? Um, dangerous in terms of physical safety. Um, UNESCO recently released a series of reports on the perils of artistic expression and freedom of expression around the world. We also see it on a political level within our, in countries where there has been an established cultural policy. We see a dismantling of institutions. We see, you know, tightening of budgets. And very often, even though we're not necessarily the most costly, we're definitely the ones that they start with. Which means that there's also an ideological aspect to it. And it creates a feeling of insecurity, of volatility, but then also within our own practices, there's the aspect of safety. The Me Too movement exposed a lot of underlying dysfunctional relationships and dysfunctional structures within our practices. It's also a matter of, in this art form and in the, the sort of adjacent art forms that we're talking about, like live arts, you meet an audience. Where do you meet that audience? Who's responsible for making the audience feel safe? Who's responsible for making the artist feel safe? All of those aspects we're going to be touching on. There is somebody missing from our panel, and that's uh, Pooja Sood. She could not attend. She is based in India, and she is running an international and, and um, sort of community-based space there. And had she been here, we would have been talking about that particular aspect of, of danger. So in order for our panelists to feel safe today, this um, conversation is being recorded, but it's not being broadcast. It's going to be edited into a podcast later. And that is because it's not always safe to express opinions about what is going on. It can have real repercussions. For her, it would have been dangerous to express herself about what is happening in India right now, because there's a real crackdown on civil society organizations, of grassroots organizations, and of arts and culture organizations. And institutions and organizations are being shut down. We were lucky enough to have two artists already kind of introduce the aspect of safety from, from a practical perspective. But I would like to start, um, let's start on the sort of the broader perspective and the broader level. And I'm going to turn to you, Clive. You live in the UK. The UK has had a long history of funding structures of an arts and culture sector that has been quite extensive. Funding has been available, even though there have been serious cuts over the past 10, 15 years. Please, the microphone is yours. Um, when we talk about safety, um, and you're also running an organization called Certain Blacks, why don't you tell us a little bit about when, when 
we talk about the topic of safety, what comes to your mind and how do you relate it to your organization? Well, certain blacks, um, certain blacks, the name comes from an album from Art Ensemble Chicago, um, who were sort of free jazz musicians in the 70s, included a guy called Lester Bowie. And um, we've taken it on because the strap line is we do what we want to. Certain blacks, certain blacks do what they want to, do what they want to. And that's important um, because the way that we're perceived sometimes as diverse artists is we are meant to make a certain sort of work that can be seen as black work. We don't do that. As an organization, we present outdoor work in public spaces. We present work in theaters. We work in circus. We work in live arts. We work across the board of um, work. And we present work that my artists, that I, they want to make, not the work that they're perceived to make. So I've got a lot of black artists that do live art. We encourage that, that do different types of circus. We also put on large scale, say, ordinary circus, we just presented Gorilla Circus, but it, we brought large circus into our area of East End. So I'll put into context where we are, is it's really nice, it's got Excel Center, it's got the mayor's office, but if you cross the, the line, I don't know if any of you have ever seen a Netflix um, series called Top Boy, they record some of Top Boy there. So that's a dichotomy, one side is really nice, the other side, they record scenes of the gangster movie. And where my common ground is, is to be able to bring artists into that sp space, into a thing that we want to make a safe space that addresses both of those audiences. And we bring, um, it, it's really good seeing the presentations now, we bring gay LGBT work into that space. We bring um, black work into that space. We bring... Um, the, the last bit I'll say is um, we bring work to diverse audiences and the, the funny thing is the mix of audiences and what they will take, appreciate and what they won't and they weren't really quite open to that. So that's, that's what it means to us in there. But do you feel safe in, in uh, producing that kind of work? Yeah, I feel, feel safe in producing that type of yeah. work. We're funded, so Newham is taken as an area in London of low arts engagement. So one of the reasons we operate there is we want to get more people engaged in the arts. One of the things that the conversation is always about is making sure that art is relevant to our local community so that we're not just parachuting stuff down and say, here's some art. We're trying to talk to the local community, get the publicity out, doing that, and having a two-way conversation. Yes, we feel safe. Um, it's got to be said, I also spend a lot of money on security to make sure we're safe, you know, and that is for the art, art, yeah. artists and the audience. And I have to do that for my licensing anyway, but I don't just turn up. You know, I do have some big men around that have, have been briefed about how to support us, and that's important to us as well. So there's something to be said about preparation, because we were talking about, uh, May was talking about it uh, also uh, previously, that there's a lot that goes into, in order for, for the, the, um, the artist to feel safe, but the audience to feel safe, there's a lot of preparation that goes into yeah. creating those 
those yes. safety measures and yeah. that safe space. Yeah. Um, Ji Young, this relates a little bit to the conversation uh, that we had initially about your perception of safety, because you work you work in Seoul, and but you also work in Marseille, and you mentioned um, when we were talking about safety, the question of security was quite prevalent for you in your in your work and how you meet local communities, because you also present outdoor work. Can you develop that a little bit and 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 tell us when it comes to sort of safety, the perception of safety. What is necessary for you as an artist to feel safe when you meet an audience? I try to speak in English first. <clears throat> um, yeah. When I was invited uh, for this session, uh, the first thing, first thing that I thought was the difference between safety and security. I was wondering what is the difference, and the context of my question was in is uh, related to situation in France, France, specifically in street art scene. The after the uh, terrorism, I heard and I felt that the total budget of a festival like Uriac Shalom and even other festival, they have to put a lot of money for the security to make audience or art piece safe. And because that amount is huge and it affect it affects uh, it affects uh, artistic creation because yeah, there is no limit. The money is always limited. And then, so this is the context, and then someday I thought about uh, my experience in when I performed my participatory performance in Russia, July 2019, in St. Petersburg. So I need to explain uh, briefly my performance to tell you a story. Um, yeah, the performance is participatory, uh, 20 meters and 35, 40 meters. On this surface, uh, we make five kilometers of uh, installation. The performance is the dismantle uh, process by the audience. It lasts, uh, it takes 50 minutes. And for the first time, uh, there was a, uh, during the performance, so which is uh, performed uh, basically by the audience, 100, 200, and there are 40 people who undo to make disappear the installation. And one of uh, the audience, I don't know why, she was baby drunken or, or uh, she I during the performance I I recognized the Caesar Caesar with her and cut every uh, installation that we made uh, during one day and a half uh, under the sun and under the rain everything 
and I was in the performance, and I have to, I had to decide uh, very quickly. The situation was, I was like here, and in front of me, uh, five kilometers of uh, strings, and the audience doing their job, and the translator somewhere on earth, and I knew that there was a secret security guard. Because usually we have a security guard uh, during the performance around us. And I said, so, oh, fuck, oh, what I have to do? Do I uh, leave the, that, uh, that person? Because uh, this is the idea and the concept of the performance to see what happens, really. Or uh, do I ask the security guard to take her away? And I said, well, let's see. And I left. I, I did nothing, waiting. She was yelling in Russian. I couldn't understand everything. And sometimes, uh, at, at, a, at a moment, uh, the audience uh, came to speak, uh, talk to each other. So I couldn't understand the discussion. And I don't know why the sound system was uh, down. Not intentionally, but uh, there was a problem. <laughs> so it was a strange situation for me. They, they speak to each other. And, and finally, the performance, was, uh, performance went very well by the, by the other people in the audience. So I think if I asked to the guardian to let her, her off the, from the performance, I could not see the, uh, I think I couldn't, I couldn't recognize, I couldn't see that the performance was protected by, by the audience, by the collectivity, temporarily collectivity. So, yeah. So then that touches on the topic of risk uh, that is also inherent in the, in, in the sort of in the concept of safety and actually in the, in the mere concept of creating work, um, of being provocative. Like, do we dare to be provocative? Do we dare to challenge? Do we dare to go where nobody has gone before? Uh, because both uh, Clive and, and you, you're working in contexts where there is some sort of infrastructure, there is some sort of funding, there are organizations, that there's a scene. Whereas you, Elizabeth, you are trying to, through risk, trying to create something where there isn't anything. There is artistic expression, there are artists, but the, in terms of the, 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 the framework and the structures that you're trying to build up, I would assume that the risk involved also then raises concerns in terms of how do you create those safe spaces for yourself and for your colleagues? Is it possible? And what do you need in order to get there? Would you like to elaborate a little? Yeah, this is, this is um, it's always the question of how to do it because you are literally building from scratch. Um, we have lots of nice papers, lots of, lots of nice things on paper that are laws that 
supposed policies that we, as a community, we, we don't get to input into. And um, there's a lot of discussion now in Accra because there's a lot of need um, and the space arose out of need. So for me, there's a lot of the ideas that have been brought up already today about listening, about let's take this one step at a time. Um, we take each issue one step at a time. Um, and I always tell people that we work with that we, we don't have the luxury of safety a lot of the time. So this idea of safe space, um, we normally talk about risky space at Terra because it would be really nice to be able to submit a three-year funding plan from with wherever and get the money, but this is not practical for us. It's not practical for artists who have been working together for 20 years, but they only have cash transactions. There's no record apart from a few photos or videos of relationship, but that doesn't negate the relationship. But I can't present that as evidence for a visa if I want to send that group on tour because they don't accept this as evidence of, and that, again, all that, those years of work and all that struggle does not mean anything within certain frameworks that are more accepted in the West. And we can't look to these structures as models because we are, we're very different. Our categorizations are different. Our challenges are different. Um, and I was talking with somebody about models earlier that would work in our context. And I think this is such a huge question of um, where do you look? How do you look? Um, and I think the answer that I'm finding is to really, like I said, take things one step at a time to talk to people, to assess, um, is this a right fit for you? I know there's not enough in Accra, but if you come to my space, I'm one person. I have a beautiful community of support. Um, I have a lot of mentors, but I'm one person. I cannot give you what you are asking a lot of the time. So are you willing to understand what I have to give and whether it's appropriate? And if it's not appropriate, how do we work through this together? Because I've had some really tough um, conversations about staff, for instance, in the past few months where there's a certain idea of, oh, you know, like I go on Instagram and I see all these dancers and it looks so glamorous, right? And then you come and the daily job is we have to scrub the toilets. We have to babysit the kids. We have to put up canopies and tables and chairs and trash and, you know, there's some random dude pissing in the bushes outside the space and we have to run and talk to them and this is the work. Most of the time it's emails and admin and fighting with the local assembly because they think you're a coffee shop and they want to charge you more money and we are like, we don't serve coffee here. And you have to have the courage to, to fight because it is a fight, but that fight is not for everybody, you know? So sometimes people say, oh, you know, you're, you're an institution and you're supposed to help us and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that and you're supposed to, but I ask, 
I'm trying to ask people to see this is where our capacity is as well. This might be a more helpful resource for you. It's not easy um, by any means. And then if you do really want to be in this with us, what are you willing to risk? You know? But in terms of the actual artistic output, um, is there, um, are you, is, is it risky to produce the kind of work that you produce? I and mean, if we just look at it from an artistic perspective, or does it give you a certain type of freedom not to have to um, refer to like strict criteria or measurability? I don't know if anybody, you know, like cultural political goals, um, um, age segmentation, um, uh, ticket sales, all of that stuff that comes with being part of, let's say, a Western kind, well, actually Western European, because it's not, you know, if you go across the pond, it's Canada that can present that, but the US doesn't present that. Um, is there a certain type of freedom in the risk taking? Um, I think definitely there's, there's a lot that I'm doing I would not be able to do but I'm also really doing it under the radar mm -hmm. because when I moved back to Ghana, my first instinct was to go to the big organizations, the National Theatre, government-controlled, the School of Performing Arts, government-controlled, different organizations, government-controlled, and was rejected so hard and then met a lot of other independent artists and said, who, who told you to do this? This is such a bad idea. Um, and... Um, I learned that a lot of people were learning these lessons um, through kind of trial and error. And um, on, so on one side, when you stay under this radar, you are very free, but then you start to experience like some of our community who are scaling up. Like there's a cartoonist, brilliant cartoonist, Bright Okwe, and the country is really not in a good place and he, he satirizes this and in not very nice ways. And he gets summoned, you know? Um, like, why did you draw the president like this? Why did you draw this minister like this? And this is something that was a little bit shocking because we've, you know, Ghana is like, oh, it's, we're so chill and we don't do this. And, you know, we have a somebody challenges that. Exactly. Um, because there was even um much more blase kind of issues where like we don't like how you dance why do you why do you not have a discipline you said you study ballet why does your dance look like this you don't know any african dances you can't take adoa and do that to adoa you know and i think again that that for us it's just we are not going to think that we are safe even when we feel comfortable and because of the way the space is set up it's really people come and they say that they feel like they stepped out of the city they feel like they're somewhere else because it's off a main road but there's trees and you just feel really almost like in a womb enclosed and in this feeling of safety and comfort you have to realize that you will go back out and you live with people who may not enter or choose to enter that space with you, whether they're artists or it's the public or it's the government. And your language is not their language and your references are not their references. And so 
when you maintain that idea of risk, then you maintain that idea, I think, of mediation also of myself in this space, myself outside of this space. Where do I choose to be true? But where do I also choose to be cautious? Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to circle back eventually to the, the sort of um, the current political and social political climate that we that we live in. But I want to get a little bit more sort of uh, now we've been talking from an artistic perspective. We're talking a little bit from the outside in. Uh, I'd like to turn to Isabel now and talk a little bit more about from the inside out in terms of. Um, creating safe spaces is not just about external factors, but it's also about the artistic practice itself. Uh, I know that um, FedEx has done a lot of work, and you personally have done a lot of work in sort of, let's say, removing some of the cobwebs of what artistic practice within circus has been perceived to be and what actually is tenable and what is acceptable in today's uh, context. Would you like to tell us a little bit, tell us a bit about what FedEx does, but also that type of work and how safety comes into your work? Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's true. We've been working quite hard uh, recently, and it's going to happen uh, for the coming years. Also, it's a real focus. So for us as a network, what's really important is to um, think of how we can make learning, training, education environments safer for the students. And there's been really urgent um, signals coming from the students' communities saying that they, they no longer want to learn or be taught like they were. Um, so it was like a prise de conscience. It was like, we cannot go on like that. So as a network, uh, we have the responsibility to help circus schools um, to, to work differently, um, to put in place uh, tools that can help them um, and uh, finances or so, we're getting funding for this. And so we set a series of uh, training for the managers of the school. So people are saying, well, why don't you train the teachers or why don't you go to the victims? And we're thinking that maybe if the top managers uh, were more skilled and those who wanted to, to change uh, the situation, if we could uh, support them then maybe the environment, the whole, the whole system would change. Uh, we just had uh, three days training on the body and nudity in Paris, and 40 participants came from all over the world, so that's a, a real success. Uh, it's nice to see that the schools are in demand of changing the, the way of teaching, and there was some really interesting uh, discussion about consent, about how you create safe space in schools, uh, spotting, uh, young people don't want to be touched like they used to. They really want to put some rules in place. Um, so all this was discussed. Uh, there's a lot of peer-to-peer uh, -peer exchange. Um, people are starting to say how difficult it is, not only from the students' perspective, but also for the people who are running those schools for so many years with passion. Um, and it's really about, yeah, um, reciprocity now in learning and education. It's not only the master that comes in that you respect and you're a bit frightened of, um, and, and those who are there to, to learn from this master. It's really a, an ongoing uh, uh, way of discussing and exchanging and learning from each other. 
So I think the whole perspective is changing, and that's really interesting and reassuring. But um, it sounds like there's a sort of there's a paradigm shift going on in terms of how the the artistry is taught. But does it affect uh, does it affect the the art that is created, and how do you approach that? Because I'm a, I can imagine that if somebody who's been in the game for a long time suddenly, and who's probably revered, probably has some sort of position, and suddenly is told or informed that the way that that person or that, you know, that artist has been creating work is no longer viable according to, you know, like th this new set of, of principles and a code of conduct, etc. Is there a conflict there? Is it a, is it a clash? Is there space for that clash? Yeah, I think, I think there is some resistance, of course. I mean, uh, and also education is a, a daily work. It's not something you just decide from one day to the other. So it's, it's really learning from each other. And there's been, of course, with Balance Ton Cirque, a huge movement, and it was impossible to avoid uh, uh, seeing and reading what was happening in the circus schools. And also research uh, uh, showing that this exists everywhere and not in one or two schools. So it was just facing the, the evidence that it's happening. What are we going to do with this? And of course, it's going to have an impact on the, on the, on the, arts, uh, the art itself. I'm sure that all those uh, young artists, when they're going to start working, uh, it will have an impact on how they want to show their body, what they want to express, also regarding all this content. So I think that's really going to be interesting to see. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to let the audience in in a little bit. I'm just going to check my time so that I don't uh, overstep my, you know, my boundaries. Boulette um, said something this morning that I thought was very interesting in terms of how uh, her alter ego, uh, Guillaume, handles the physical aspects of their work and how it... Um, like what you can put in place in order for, for you know, in order to create comfort, in order to create sort of ease into that. Um, is it possible to have that on, on um, how do I say this? Like, is it possible to change that, to, to maintain the practice that you're doing um, even if you then have to, I mean, there might be things that you have to stop doing. There might be a risk involved in um, artists no longer being able to practice the art that they're doing because the methods that they're using or the, the, the elements that are necessary in that, and I'm not going to get into what that is, but like, we had a, if I may bring up a sort of a, a, a short anecdote, um, this, uh, this is not in the, the circus uh, space, but it's in the uh, ballet space. Um, the Swedish national, the Royal Ballet in Sweden, had uh, a challenge with um, the, ballet, um, the, the, the ballet director bringing in a choreography that was choreographed years ago, uh, but they wanted to sort of mount that production and in the uh, audition process, the audition, um, 
the dancers were not chosen on their, um, their artistic ability or their physical ability. They were chosen on their affinity or their acceptance of being naked on stage. Uh, and actually not naked, fully naked, but uh, topless. And there was also um, a conversation around this uh, with other people involved. The original choreographer was not involved, but the, of um, whether you are allowed to choose dancers based on uh, only their physical appearance, because there was a specific look that was uh, expected for this. Uh, and the dancers were expected to take the risk of exposing themselves on stage in order for them to actually be able to dance in that particular piece. And this is post Me Too. And it, led the, it made the conversation become a question of, should we still be performing this piece? Is it still relevant as a dance piece if the choice of dancers is not based on what they can actually produce on stage, but whether you can create the conformist look of them as both men and women, or you know, both female and male bodies on stage being presented uh, in a sort of, in this uh, topless situation. Um, ultimately, the performance went through, but not without criticism. And it actually sparked this, this conversation um, because there were, of course there were dancers that were disadvantaged and they were not chosen because they could not, they were not okay. And also some of them, some of the female uh, dancers felt that they, you know, that their bust was bigger and they actually, uh, the ballet master thought that the bust was bigger and therefore would ruin the conformist look. See what I mean? But originally this was whole, this whole thing was part of the artistic uh, perspective. This was all part of the artist. Like, this was all part of the actual work, but now we're breaking it down. And so the question is: Is there a risk in the paradigm shift that there are certain works that are no longer going to be acceptable? And what do we feel about that? Yeah. For me, it's fine that some of those performances disappear. For me, it's, it's really good. And I think also that the, the, the earlier the discussion uh, happens, so if, it if it's in the schools, if it's while, while students are, are being trained, they can, they can start really thinking about how they want to show their body and so on. So I think that uh, we, as an audience, we have also to change our perspective on this kind of work, but also the programmers have to change the way that they are programming because it's never, uh, there's always something behind when you are exposing bodies which look alike. So I think we all have our responsibilities to make some kind of uh, artwork uh, no longer uh, on stage. Because we premiere safety. Yes, because we premiere safety and we promote, we premiere also diversity. Mm. Any comment? Yeah. It, it, it's also about where the work originates and what that work is trying to say. So I work a lot with female-led artists. Uh, I'm going to get this from Marissa Konetsky and a few other artists. And I put on work which comes from what those artists have made. And it's down to them what they want to do because it's part of that show. I've also worked with um, people like Franco B, who has done a lot of bloodletting. 
and he's moved those shows on. He doesn't do that sort of work anymore. There's also a thing that is that I found some things which people have found acceptable depictions, I find uncomfortable now. The, the world has moved on. A recent show, and I won't say, won't name the show, but there was a depiction of using music that was about Egypt, and it was the, the, the it was a chapel. No, it's the, you can't depict you know Egypt like that anymore. But it's an accepted language, you know. People use that accepted language, and it's hard to then say you know you're calling them old school. You're very old school that accepted language. It's just it makes me feel uncomfortable, you know. So it it comes from that place of colonialism. It comes from that 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 thing. But the, does the discomfort make you feel unsafe, or does it just just does it provoke you? But, or does it make you feel like this could actually create something that could also be dangerous? It's unsafe because it makes me feel that people accept that level of low-level colonialism or low-level language about it. So I'm often one of the few um, people of color programmers and directors there. And if I'm sitting there thinking this sort of work is accepted around, um, and I feel I'm safe to challenge it because people go, what's wrong? You know, people have done that for years. But my organization, it's about that. And it's about enabling people to have that space to say, we don't do that anymore. You know, we don't make work like that anymore. We don't represent it anymore. Because it does reflect old colonial standards. But what happens when the voice that says, we don't do that anymore, comes from... Uh, the people that hold power and the people that hold the purse strings. Um, Who gets to dictate that? Because I think there's an inherent danger in all of that. If it comes from within the artist community or if it comes from within the sector itself or whether it comes from the outside. Because um, our countries, the UK, Sweden, France, we've had the principle of arm's length yeah ever since the, the 70s, where all of these sort of structures were established, where arts and culture were finally considered a public good, where there needed to be um, you know, government policy that could be translated into grant systems and support systems, etc. What happens when that shift? Because I don't know if everybody, anybody noticed, but we're in that shift right now. There are lots of opinions. It's not always fact-based. We have to make a difference between facts and, and, and opinions. But political opinion very often now influences, like the arm's length is not so much an arm's length. In some countries in Europe, there is no arm. Mm. There's barely a finger. Uh, the, you know, and how do you, what does, what does that do? Does it make, because you also then see resistance from the arts and culture sector, and you see it from the artists being more adamant about, no, I'm going to produce this, I'm going to show this, I'm going to, uh, to do that because it's a reaction to being censored or canceled yeah. or all of the terms that are sort of in this general wokeness that we're living in, apparently. Um, where, like, where do you draw the line for when it's acceptable and what are the dangers in all of this? What's the danger for your practice um, if it's no longer an arm? Uh, yeah, the danger, 
this referring to how um, the UK has sort of changed. So um, I have to admit, this is where I admit and put a confession up. I used to work for Arts Council England um, until it's recently. It's okay, you're still welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 um, So whilst I was there, um, uh, the arms length principle was sort of cut down a bit, um, a lot because of COVID and uh, because of um, the Cultural Recovery Fund, which is coming from what they call, from the government, basically. So out of that, there's been a lot of things which have sort of come from the Department of Culture, DCMS, that has intimated you can't do. There's also a pulling closer of the arts to government. I have to say, in, in, in you know, to defend people like the Arts Council, they have pushed back. They don't just say, you know, they, they push back and say they do allow artists to make the work that they make, but the atmosphere has slightly changed. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's changing the work that is out there at the moment, but people are aware of the changing climate, and I think that might affect Because them. I think it also it brings, if the signal from the top is that this is no longer something that we support, there's no space for this, we have opinions about this, then that seeps down on an individual level, on a community level, on a group level. So if you're challenging something, again, uh, um, I'll, I'll bring up a, a, a short anecdote because I'm going to relate it to some of your work. Uh, we recently had a situation in Sweden where um, an Iranian uh, female artist uh, was producing an installation, a two-part installation, at, in a smaller uh, town called Burros in Sweden. And uh, the day or the two, two days before the unveiling of the second part, which was going to hang in the uh, entryway of the culture house, the main culture house. And it's a set of um, uh, female uh, heads with uh, hanging um, veils to represent all of those women who have been slain since... You know, we, this is all about the, the protests, etc. And this artist has been censored in Iran. She's, a, she's a, in exile. Uh, she is in Sweden. That is a safe space. And two days before this they're about to unveil, the director of culture decides, uh, of, of the city decides that it is no longer appropriate to have it in the, in, in the entryway. It's no longer safe. This has to do with the fact that Sweden in the summer raised its terror alert from three to four. And it's going to be permanently on four because we have made some powerful enemies around the world. So this then meant that this woman who was expecting safe haven, who, whose work was commissioned by the city of Buros to produce this work, was not allowed to, pr to present it as it was presented in that space because it was considered to be unsafe. And it was going to be unsafe for the artist, it was going to be unsafe for visitors, uh, there were, a, you know, because there's a terror, a terror alert. And this blew the whole, sorry for the pun, but it blew the whole conversation up. Ultimately, they found a safer space, which was, they moved it from the main culture house where everybody has access to the, to the art gallery where they can have a, a, a different kind of control over who goes in and out, but also has a much smaller audience. So this is 
you know, this is an example of like what happens when the work that you're doing, you're provoking in a way that perhaps gives license to people because they feel supported that, you know, they have, somebody has their back. Has this affected your work in any way? As you, you work in, in public space, in, both in, in, uh, in Seoul and in, in Marseille, have you ever had that experience that you've had to change location or you've had to shut something down because it ruffled the wrong feathers or you, know, you were in the wrong neighborhood or something? And how do you feel about that? I think I can talk about my experience in Paris, uh, 2018 in the district of Belleville. And another one is, uh, which is going on in Seoul Street Art Festival. First one, uh, when we were, we, when we performed in Paris, uh, we were in the, the area. And that area was uh, occupied for children's and adolescents. Daytime children and Nighttime, adolescent, teenagers, and we thought that because we take uh, three days, we take all their place for three days. We thought we have to smell uh, the atmosphere, take a walk, not only not only our performance area but around. We take time. We say hello. And we apologize to take their place. And yeah, before we get to the concrete, specific manual works, we try to yeah, communicate communicate with the neighborhoods. And it went very well. At the beginning of performance, there were teenagers in the in the village in the district who are not content, who are not happy with the performance. So they they yelled, they 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 made a big noisy. And it was the other uh, teenagers who grabbed who who yeah who who stopped. And uh, the final we were everything went very well with the support of uh, neighborhood. But so I think it was my it was a good experience, but sometimes it can be very uh, dangerous and violent. In uh, one month ago in Marseille, a group of my a uh, friend of mine, uh, Ex Nilo Company, was supposed to perform in the city center of uh, Marseille. So they finished the rehearsal and they did a repetition just 30 minutes, one hour before the performance, they canceled the, uh, the show because of because uh, uh, neighborhood told that uh, we will kill you if you really do the performance. So you can go in this way. And they, my friend, uh, they did a good job as well to communicate uh, with the quartier, uh, with the district, uh, neighborhood, uh, but it does not depend on us uh, completely. And can I finish? Sorry. 
in Seoul, which is when you talk about arms length uh, principles, uh, I want to talk about uh, which is going on in Seoul Street Art Festival from two years. Uh, so this year edition will be at the, at, at the end of September and beginning of October. Last year was same. Uh, the whole budget of Seoul Street Art Festival is one and a half, one and one point four millions euro. I converted uh, to tell you, so huge money, and the head of uh, not artistic director, but the head of Seoul Culture Culture Foundation, which is the branch of uh, city. So the head, uh, his name is Chang Lee. He considered the art is only the ballet and opera. And he put 40, 45% of budget uh, of street art festival, street art and circus festival to the opera. And so it's, uh, when I saw this, uh, I, I thought, wow, I couldn't, I could not say, I couldn't say, I could not know uh, yeah, how it can be possible in 2023 in Korea. Yeah. So you mean that there's a, there was a polit in terms of who was deciding what kind of artistic content and where the money was going to go that would influence the content of the whole festival? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but he's, not, he's not even the politician. No. He's a... Uh, short uh, contract, uh, five, five years, four years, maybe. But he has the mandate to make that decision. Two years, uh, she knows. Uh, she's uh, head of, the head of Seoul Cultural Foundation. Mm. His job is for two years. Uh, he cut 40% uh, of budget uh, of street art festival for, to make opera in the, in the air. Though the opera is the, sec uh, the part where they have uh, the most of money. So, yeah. I want to open up to the audience. Thank you. I want to open up to the audience um, and see if there are any um, questions for our panelists or questions you want to raise. Um, and I'll also like to put the question out of, we've talked about, I mean, we've, we've sort of exposed quite a lot of the, the challenges and the di dimensions of this topic of safety. And of course, this is a huge topic. We could probably be here for like a year and still talk about this. Uh, so it was never going to be the intention of like exhausting the topic, but raising the topic, getting you, you know, getting your, uh, your sort of uh, uh, neurons going in terms of what can be done? What do we need in order to improve that? So take that question with you when, you know, when you now interact with the panelists. And I'm sure that there are microphones that are going to be, no? Uh, you're gonna need one. Yeah, we have one. Yeah, and I will share mine here. Uh, is there anybody who wants to, but what do we need in order to be able to address this prism of safety? Please, say your name because we can't necessarily see you. Yeah, hello, Hi. I'm Galina. Hi. <laughs> hey, um, I just have a question for, for you from FedEx um, in the topic of uh, how we now are redefining this uh, way of uh, spotting or supporting uh, our artists in the physical world and um, my question is um, are they uh, invited and uh, or in another way do they actually take actively part in this 
discussion and in this uh, future for them? Or are we uh, deciding above them heads how is their future going to be? Sorry, I, I didn't get, what's was about spotting, but I didn't get far. Uh, when you were in the, in the topic of um, the young or okay. the students having uh, now actually real uh, mm. confrontations and criteria about how we touch yes. or support or how we feel safe around our working environment. So they are involved, of course, in each school. I mean, it's, uh, it's part of the dialogue and teacher asking them each time or at the beginning of the year how they would like to be touched and putting protocols together in place. And us as a network, we are also going to draft some guidelines. And of course, it's not going to be with too many details, but like basic uh, bullet points uh, to help the schools and have a basis of work. Yeah, my, so. my point was just like, um, I also work with you and uh, I also see it on everyday basis, how they just say no or, um, but without actually being actively taking part in, okay, but then what? <laughs> so what do I do? Like, and then no, okay, so, or do I invite them in the right way to, to have this dialogue or to take this next step? And I was just, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go get no, <laughs> give no. a workshop on spotting. I don't think I'm the right person, but I think it's, uh, there's no, there's no uh, recipe. It's really about asking individually to every student how today you want to be spotted. Yeah, we had invited during our training uh, a representative of the collective Balance Ton Cirque, and she was giving some ideas on how this could be done. So it was pretty, uh, it was really good to have also the insight of a, a former student of a circuit school. And all this is going to be put online on our website. So you can find all the information. Just because in the end, it, um, it very much affects the mental uh, health, not the physical. It's not the, the point about if I touch you wrong or not. In fact, it's like scars for years in, in the mental department. Yeah. Safety and, uh, and uh, mental health issues are completely connected. Thank you. Do you have somebody else? Waving arms that we can't see. Yes. Hi, my name is Laura. Um, I also work with an arts council. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, You're welcome so to be here. I just want to pick up on a thread that was there. So um, you were talking about kind of directives of diversity or institutional ideologies of inclusion, right? This idea. Um, and it's dangerous because it's taken to such extremes that it verges on censorship, right? So, but then, Policymakers are in usually individuals or driven by a passionate individual, overworked, underpaid, constantly under pressure. With, you know, as speaking from my own personal experience, and maybe Clyde might share some of that. Um, so they're constantly walking a tight wire of trying to represent the temperature of the time as it's like a virtue ethics exercise, constantly trying to meet the greater good, constantly under criticism. So does their individual safety matter also? Do their personal experience and their voices matter also? And then I just, in response to maybe your question, um, programmers, curators are, it's an artistic practice. So then, you know, feeling uncomfortable about presenting a piece of work because it's using music that is, you know, um, a simplification of a culture or a representative of colonialism, systematic colonialism, that's valid because each personal experience is valid, each voice is valid. So from a pro, now, I'm not saying that 
bureaucrats or policymakers shouldn't be challenged. That's the job, and we must always constantly challenge. But I think there's a, there should be a freedom of expression for a programmer. While, yes, they control the purse strings, yes, they control some power, it's their artistic voice through the process of programming. So I'm sorry, there wasn't really a question in there, just some thoughts that came That's to okay. mind. Yeah. Not everything has to be a question. Talking of policy, um, a really good thing to read is a thing called Creative Case of Diversity. It was supported from money from Arts Council England. It's about the value of diverse work. It's not saying you've got, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you should do this, but it's about the value of supporting diverse work. And also you can't get over, if you're gonna have a Me Too thing and say you can't do this anymore, you can't then say, I've got freedom to represent work which is still a bit iffy. You know, it goes both ways, it goes along. But I would recommend the creative case for, for a policy thing. I recommend the creative case for diversity because it's, it's a number of essays that talks about the issues. It doesn't say you should do this or you should do that. But it, it talks about the philosophical stuff. It talks about the impact of diverse work. It talks about the value of diverse work. So I'd, I'd say look at that as, as, as a, a thing, as a jumping-off point. Yeah. Uh, dear. Hi, um, I'm Stuart. I'm from Wales, the disjointed kingdom. Um, I was just wondering if I'm a fire performer, take a lot of risks, um, and work a lot in the dark as well. I just wondered if the role of the artist was to um, almost disregard safety, take a lot of risks, uh, but uh, try and find that balance where you control those risks. Um, which, which I'm constantly doing. Um, and I wondered if we're talking about a process of actually risk management rather than um, thinking about safety. So I'm trying to provoke. Yes, please, Elizabeth. I think I relate to that on a very personal level because things like having an aerial practice in a country where you, you can buy a carabiner, that's rated strongly enough. <laughs> you know, you, you have to you know, put money together, import stuff from Vegas, you know, convince customs to give you all these things. You're talking about fire. We have people who want to make, they see all these things. Now you have the internet. They just want to try. They want to push. They want to experiment. They want to grow. And now it's like, I don't have biofuel or whatever in Ghana, so I'm going to take some petrol. I'm going to take some gasoline. And it's like, don't do that. But that thing about access to training and knowledge and saying, hey, here's a bunch of other people who try to do the same thing as you, and they don't put petrol in their mouth because that's a very bad idea. Don't do that ever. Um, but here's what they are using, and this is how they are balancing, and they are not inhaling the stuff, and this is how they manage. They drink milk after they... So some of that sharing of knowledge about how you deal with risk in your environment as a dancer, we have a lot of injuries. We have physiotherapists who, why are you doing this? Why do you need your leg here? You can walk, it's not a problem. But this is my job, you know? This is what I use to earn a livelihood. So you need to understand. And I think it goes for me into community as well. Because when it's one person, um, for the space that I'm building, the engineer is like, why do you need this point to hold 3,000 tons? Like, how, how heavy are you? Then you show a video and he goes, but why do you want to do this? 
then um, I come back with 10 other people who also want to do this. And it's like, okay, we, we make a way. He doesn't get it still. But that thing about community and knowledge sharing um, helps you with the risk factor. Because I think the risk never goes away. And what, what you get out of networks and resources and community is that it's all risk management. And when we go back to the point about mental health, right, when you know you are not alone in this, and we've, somebody spoke about loneliness earlier, it's like sometimes just having the load off and knowing that, okay, even if I entered a space that was risky, that was really maybe a little creepy, um, that I didn't agree with the rhetoric or I thought this was very problematic, I have somewhere that holds me. You know, and that could be in the form of recovery time. It could be in the form of advice. I know we were told not to give advice, but I think some context you need that because you have no, you have nothing. You know, I look at this room and there's so many resources and exchanges, and I'm listening to conversations. And I'm like, because there's nothing, and I think there's great value in that idea of managing risk and that we, we must not make it so safe that we cannot get to truth and get to adventure and get to experiment, you know? You know, I was going to do, uh, um, we're unfortunately out of time, but I hope that the conversation will continue. I, I was going to do like a little final round of like final thoughts, but I think you put it very eloquently and very sort of in a, in a summation. So I'm going to let that be the final word uh, I'd like to thank you for taking the time, for all the thoughts and conversations, and for uh, putting it every, everything out there. I hope that you have felt safe to do so. I hope that everybody else has enjoyed this conversation, that it has sparked some ideas and thoughts and future conversations, because you'll be eating food out there soon. So you will have something you don't even have to think. You can just continue talking about all of this. So thank you very much for your time and for your attention. <laughs>